Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Next Round Conversation. Today, we are being joined by Ian Burrell, Global Rum Ambassador. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I mean, first, dude, I got to ask you, like, how does someone become the global rum ambassador? And like, what even is that job? I mean, that sounds like the job like everyone wants to have. Uh, well, it is a great job. You get you get paid for drinking rum <laughs> um, or even talking about rum. But um, no, I've been um, I've been a, a global ambassador for rum for about uh, 20 years now. Um, and uh, in that time, I've, I, I've traveled to all seven continents, um, work with multiple different brands, um, and just talking about the, the history of rum, where rum is today and where rum is going in the future, um, to, to trade, to consumers, to anyone that wants to listen. Um, huh. And yeah, how wonderful the rum category is. So uh, yeah, it's a great job. <laughs> How'd you get into rum in the first place? Um, I always like to tell people I fell into a vat of rum, a bit like an Oblix, Asterix um, friend that... Um, uh, fell into the fell into that vat of a suit that made him a super superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the gore, but um, no, I, my my parents are Jamaican, and uh, in Jamaica, rum is part of the family. It's part of the culture. It's more than the spirit. Um, it's a way of life. So, uh, so I've always been into rum. Um, so uh, I was very, very, very uh, um, happy to actually see rum as part of my career when I became a bartender, uh, because all the cocktails. Uh, that you created with rum were the ones that brought the most smiles to people's faces. So, uh, so yeah, that's how I, that's how I got into rum, basically through through uh, um, my heritage and through work. Very cool. So, um, in terms of like your your role as a global rum ambassador, traveling around, does that mean are you an an equal opportunity rum lover? Like, I mean, I think what what's been so interesting for me to explain to people around the world, our readers is that, you know, rum is made in so many places that people don't realize. Um, you know, I mean, I think we had someone on earlier this year who, you know, makes, is making rum in the Philippines. I mean, there's so many cool places people are making rum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you an equal opportunity? Are you, you know, is is Jamaica your first love? And then you kind of move (laughs) out from there. How does it work? Um, as a, as a rum ambassador, um, I'm equal opportunity. Um, I believe that (laughs) there are so many different styles of rums made in so many different countries and they all, all have their own different interpretations, but then, exactly the same as with whiskey whiskeys are made in so many different countries in different ways and have their, their own different interpretations and the same as a uh, as fruit brandies um different different definitions of of brandies depending on where they're made and how they're made as a jamaican we make the best rum in the world <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, that's with the jamaican hat on but everyone is biased in the caribbean about their rums uh, are the best but in reality, um, there are so many great rums that I always like to say the best rum um, is the one in your glass, the next one, or a free one. So what, um, for people who may be less familiar, like what makes a spirit a rum? Well, um, a lot of people will automatically assume that because a the spirit is made from sugarcane, um, that it, it, it will be defined as a rum, but that's not actually exactly true. All rums have to be made from sugarcane, but not all sugarcane spirits are rum. So to be a rum, it depends on the country um, where you're made. Um, of course, it has to be made from sugarcane, but it depends on the country where you're made and how you interpret it. And I say this in, uh, in a respectful way uh, for when you look at countries like, for example, Brazil. Brazil's national spirit um, is a sugarcane distillate called cachaça, and it's one right. of the biggest selling spirits in the world, but it's not rum. Now, if that product was made maybe in, say, Jamaica or in Barbados, would they call it rum? They probably would call it rum. Um, but the fact that it's made in Brazil 
and they were making that spirit a hundred years before the Barbadians were actually calling their sugarcane spirit rum. Um, we should give them the respect and call their local their spirit the whatever they define it as. So, um, and this is why I always say that all rums have to be made from sugarcane, but not all sugarcane distillates are rum. Um, so that's really interesting. I never knew that. So thank you. I just learned something oh, today. I oh, no had problem. no clue that that was the like the cachaça. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing is with cachaça, cachaça has to be made from fresh sugarcane juice. And if okay. you go do Martinique or Guadeloupe, all of their rums have to be made from fresh sugarcane juice. But also in Brazil, they actually do make a lot of rum from molasses um, and they call it rum or they'll actually call it aguariente, um, fire water. So they do have molasses based spirits, which and, and for your readers out there, molasses is just the byproduct of making sugar, the leftovers of making sugar once you've Boil that fresh sugarcane juice. Uh, you let the sugarcane juice caramelize and crystallize. You take the crystals out, that sugar, and the leftovers is molasses. Uh, fairly sweet, but that is the raw material that's used to make a lot of rums, especially in countries like Jamaica, Barbados, Cuba, and um, Puerto Rico. But some countries like to just go straight to the fresh sugarcane uh, juice stage and make their rums from there. So uh, the French Caribbean make their rum that way, and the Brazilians make their cachaça from that fresh sugarcane juice as well. How did that happen? Uh, you, you see, I mean, all the islands are pretty mm. close together. Yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm so curious how you know some decided let's use the leftover molasses and others yeah. like no let's use the fresh juice and then then another quick question just to loop in there too so is the fresh mm -hmm. juice that basically is what some people might also encounter as rum agricole? Well, rum agricole. I mean, no. I'll, I'll, yeah. Well, I'll answer that question first because you just please mention that. So, rum agricole is only limited to uh, the French department. Um, or Interesting. The department, okay. They call it. So, Guadeloupe, Martinique. Um, Guadeloupe also incorporates Marie Galante in the in the Caribbean. There's also French Guiana um, as well. These are still departments of France, and they have they actually have the registered name for their fresh sugarcane juice rum, which they call rum agricole. Martinique goes even further and has an AOC, which similar to like cognac and certain wines where they have certain specifications of how their rum agricole has to be made. Um, like the level of how it's distilled, it has to be distilled in a column still, a Creole column still. It has to be distilled to anywhere between 70 and 75% alcohol by volume. It has to be um, made from sugarcane uh, from the particular island. So you can't bring sugarcane in and then crush that and make the juice for there. So there's, there's lots of different rules and regulations in making rum agricole, but only from that territory. So if I made a fresh sugarcane juice rum, let's say in Jamaica or in Barbados, I couldn't legally call it rum agricole. I'd call it cane juice rum or sugar cane juice rum. So rum agricole, um, similar to like, um, let's say, Kentucky bourbon. Um, I could make bourbon in any part of America, um, but I couldn't call it Kentucky bourbon unless it's from Kentucky. Um, right. the, the rum agricoles um, are made in the French departments of um, of um Sorry, our French departments of the Caribbean. Now, okay. in, in the EU, there's one other territory that's allowed to use the word agricole, and that's Portugal, um, the island and, and their island, Madeira. So they actually allow, they actually have agricole on their labels legally in Europe. But this doesn't transcend over into America. And that's that's the that's the sticking point when you have a set of rules and regulations for your particular island or your particular country, and that rule is not acknowledged by a territory selling your particular product, because then you have lots of limitations that will come into play. Um, so right. this is another legal angle, a legal angle, but that's a, a long way to answer that particular question. And in regards, <laughs> to, uh, in regards to how these have come of all, uh, come, um, how these styles of rums have come about, 
a lot of it's just necessity. It's if you're making your rum from from you, if you're growing sugar cane and you squeeze that juice and then you you're making sugar, then you're going to make your rum from um, from anything you can, whether it's the the byproduct, which will be molasses, whether you're going to make it into a, a, a syrup, uh, which some countries do, they they make it sugar just to concentrate their sugars and use that. Or if you if you don't have a market uh, to sell your sugar, like some of the French colonies didn't have at one stage, then you you'll say, well, why am I going to go to the molasses stage if I can't sell my sugar? I'm, and I'm selling rum. I might as well just make I might as well just make my rum just from the fresh sugar cane juice. And that's what a lot of the French um, uh, countries did um, back in the days when they were French, when they were French colonies, because they didn't have a market to sell their sugar. So they made their rum from fresh sugar cane juice, where the countries like Jamaica and Cuba and Haiti, uh, at that particular time, they were selling so much sugar, making so much money. Then they had that byproduct molasses. They'd make rum from there. So hey, if you had a sugar plantation you uh, or a plantation, you were rolling in money because you could make money from your sugar, you could make money from your molasses, and you, you were happy. Um, if you couldn't sell that sugar, then you just make your rum from um, cane juice. So there is historically um, cane juice rums in Jamaica, cane juice rums in Barbados, um, and they're not known for making those styles of rums, but they did before. So obviously you are now also involved in a rum that recently launched, correct, called Equiano. That's right. Uh-huh. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? So what is Equiano and what, you know, um, what caused you to want to be a part of the brand? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one at first because <clears throat> I've always been independent and I, I, I never really wanted to do my own brand as such. I just, I, I enjoyed just promoting the category of rum. But I met up with my business partners a couple of years ago and uh, they had a couple of ideas um, for for some rums, and I was like, mm, uh, maybe not. <laughs> that might not work. But after getting after getting to know them a little bit more, um, we realized that we had a lot of things in common, um, especially our philanthropic what's called um, aspirations, um, but also the fact that we wanted to make a difference um, with a particular product, a particular brand, a particular rum. <clears throat> so we looked at different ideas, and uh, one of the things I've always wanted to do was to create an African Caribbean rum. And that's because my ethnicity in the UK is African and Caribbean. Um, but when you look at the two regions, there is one region that makes the best rums in the world, and that's the Caribbean region. Um, now, Africa as a continent has multi- a multitude of different types of sugarcane distillates and some great sugarcane over there, but but no world-class rum brands yet. Um, and the nearest you can get to that would be from, say, like the island of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean, East, the east part of Africa, and they they've got some great rums there, but they just haven't um, they haven't been put on that pedestal yet. They haven't been sampled and tasted by enough people. So I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could help elevate um, and amplify some of what they were doing by using some of their rums um, in this particular blend. So we uh, went to a distillery called Gray's Distillery, um, who okay. makes a great rum called New Grove in Mauritius. Um, I got some samples from them, tasted some of their rums, loved them. Um, we settled on a 10-year-old rum um, that was been aging cognac casks, ex-cognac casks. And we wanted to blend that with some rums from the Caribbean. Now, being a Jamaican, saying that the best rum in the world is from Jamaica, naturally people would have said, well, why didn't you go to Jamaica? Um, well, <laughs> Barbados, begrudgingly, I have to say this, but Barbados is making some of the best liquid in the world at the moment, <laughs> let alone okay. rum. But best liquids in the world, and it, I, I, and a lot of that is down to a guy named Richard Seal at Four Square Distillery in Barbados. So 
when I asked Richard, listen, you, can you be part of this project, putting this rub together, creating this brand? He said, yes, straight away. Um, it was something new. It was something different. Um, and it was a chance to create a, a, a different profile from the rums that he, he's used to creating. So, yeah, so we got the rums from, um, from Mauritius, sent that to Barbados, and that was blended with rums aged in ex-American, uh, sorry, ex-bourbon cast, once um, okay. bourbon cast, <clears throat> um, a minimum of eight years. Um, now, a minimum of eight years in Barbados and a minimum of 10 years in, in Mauritius is, is, is quite a long time for spirits because of the- It's an uh, old rum. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a tropical environment, and if we-, if we if we equate that to the evaporation or the maturation of spirits, like in say Scotland, uh, a whiskey is is evaporating at a rate of about two percent every year. In Barbados, the rum is evaporating at a, a rate of six to eight percent. So it's aging three to four times faster than a, a whiskey does in Scotland. So yeah, so an eight year old rum in in Barbados is quite mature. Um, so he blends uh, Richard blends those two rums together. We bottled it in Barbados and then we send some to the States and we send some to the UK. And that is the same journey that um, our namesake, the, the person that we have on the name of our bottle, Alauda Equiano, um, he made that same journey. He was forced to make that journey, in fact, when he was kidnapped when he was 11 in the 1750s, um, taken from Africa to Barbados and then taken to the States, sold, um, sold into slavery, uh, sent to the UK. And in the UK, he learned to speak English. Um, um, learned about um, ideals and he, he was baptized and then he jumped back on a ship and was um, working on those ships and working in the Caribbean. And that's where he saw um, the travesty of um, the enslavement of Africans <clears throat> in, in, a, in, a more, in a more brutal way. And he vowed to fight for freedom. He vowed to fight for equality after seeing that. Went back to the UK after buying his own freedom. He bought his own freedom selling spices and rum for about 50 bucks um back then um came back to the uk wrote a book uh the interesting narrative of alauda recurana which went on to help with the abolition of the transatlantic slave react um in 1807 so um he was a powerful inspirational um abolitionist um entrepreneur um writer author and we just wanted to pay homage to him by um adorning his name on our bottle and also um helping with and shedding a focus on modern day slavery uh today so um we donate two dollars and two two pounds for every bottle we sell um, from our website and once we start to make a profit five percent of uh um, profits from our company will go to um, our foundation and at the moment our foundation is um contributing money to anti-slavery international which is one of the oldest um slavery uh, anti-slavery organizations in the world at the moment wow so you know talking about um you know, the brand and the namesake, you know, it, it does, of course, obviously bring up the conversation that a lot of people have, which is sort of the, the complicated history that Ram yes. has. Yes. You know, can you talk a little bit about that and sort of, you know, as first of all, what you're doing with the brand, but then also the industry as a whole, how the industry is wrestling with that history. Um, I know a lot of bartenders and people in the trade have, are also wrestling with that history. So to get your perspective would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 Funny, I'm very, very protective over the rum category as a as a rum lover, as a rum ambassador. And of course, once, um, especially after last year, the last year that we've had with pandemic, and then a lot of things have, um, the world has slowed down. So a lot of things have been seen firsthand for a lot of people or understood. Uh, some people are, are using the, um, are saying that people have woken up um, to what's really happening um, as such. And, and rum has come under the spotlight because of how it was founded, how it was made. Um, the fact that 
um, that a, a lot of Africans that were enslaved were instrumental in making these brands and making these rums and making rums and making a fortune for their um, their slave owners and for the, the countries that actually kidnapped them um, from the African continents and brought them over to the Caribbeans and to the Americas. So there's that association with sugarcane and slavery um, and, and enslavements of Africans and, and rum, and that's there. But I also try to let people understand that rum is not the only industry that has benefited from the enslavement of Africa. I mean, pretty much every industry, the banking industry, uh, the cigars, tobaccos, pretty much everything of the Western world has been has been built on the back of the enslavement of Africans. Um, it's just that it just seems a little bit more in your face when it's connected with rum, when it sees rum, because everyone knows rum is connected with sugarcane and, and slave plantations and, and things like that. So that's one thing I, I try to put in context that rum, the category of rum is no different from some of the other industries that are out there um, as well. But um, it has been brought to a forefront in recent times, especially with certain brands that are with their names. Um, right. Yeah. Um, we have we have plantation rum that has come out last year. They said they're going to be changing their name um, because they felt that it was insensitive. Um, maybe not at the time, but they, they feel it's insensitive now. Now it's been brought to light. So we'll see if that happens, if their name is, is, is going to change. Hopefully it's not this lip service. We've seen right. here in Europe, we've seen brands like a Ron Esclavo slave rum that said they were paying homage to the, the slaves that made rum. At no time did they pay any sort of homage to any person or any organization that I've ever known. And for me, because it was in a country that maybe maybe the, the country didn't really see the injustices, the injustice of, of, of the enslavement of Africans firsthand, um, unless we include uh, Haiti in, in that respect. They didn't see it firsthand. So it, it wasn't really an issue for them. But again, because of bartenders the industry, the spirits industry, which for me is one of the most powerful industries in the world. They brought this up online and through social media, through people talking and through people um, um, sharing uh, imagery and sharing ideas and sharing stories that put pressure on these companies to say, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe we need to change. Um, and that's for me, one of the reasons why I love this industry, the bartenders um, and the spirits industry is one of the most powerful industry industry in the world and if we put mm -hmm. our mind to trying to change the world for a better place we can do it we've done it before with many brands um not only rum right across the board and and that's one of the reasons why i love love this industry so so yes yeah, so rum has been connected um with the enslavement of africa with the injustices of, of slavery um because of that connection between how it's made and where it was made and it also was such a big currency um, money, uh, sorry, sugar and molasses and rum back in the 18th and 19th century. But um, as long as we don't forget um, and we use that strength to go further, to move us further going forward and to make sure we're doing the right thing, then it's all good. So one other question for you around this topic. So, you know, we've talked about this a lot at Vine Pair. I'm curious for your thoughts. You know, um, most of the, the major rum brands obviously are owned by multinational, multinational corporations. Yes. Um, and there's very few rum brands with an involvement of, you know, a person of color. Yes. Right. So th yeah. there's Equiano with you. Um, Mark Farrell is a, a good friend of the podcast and of mm -hmm. Vine Pair, you know, 10 to 1. Yes. But not, not a lot of others. Right. So what do you think the industry as a whole can do to help more people, especially people who are 
from the region, like yourself, like Mark, you know, start brands, get involved with brands, you know, really be in ownership positions in the world of rum? Well, first of all, um, people, we, um, as people of color, we have to want to be the owners of brands. We have to want to um, set up and do the work. We can't expect to just be handed that position. Uh, We have to want to create a brand, sell a brand, promote the brand, market the brand. But then once we do that, we then we then expect a fair crack of the whip. Um, um, We expect to be treated in the same level and the same respect, given the same type of airtime, the same type of promotion or marketing, um, the same conversation, um, whether it's in our magazines, whether it's within our, our spirits industry, whether it's at these bar shows, these trade shows, these fairs. Um, if we have a good brand, people should be talking about those brands in the same way as they do with certain other brands. Um, because the, the other, the other, the other funny thing that I, I do come across a lot uh, when we talk about Caribbean-owned rum brands, there's a lot of Caribbean-owned rum brands owned by Caribbeans. Um, some of them don't look exactly like me. They don't look black or they don't look brown. Uh, they are white, but They've been living in the Caribbean for over 200 years. Their family have been over there for 200 years. And I look at someone like, let's say, a Richard Seal. Um, I look at someone like a, a Christor Harris uh, in Jamaica. Um, I look at them as Caribbeans, not as right. a white person or a black person. I look at them as a Caribbean. Richard is a Barbadian um, and his family is Barbadian and they, are bar- they own a rum brand. Now, if you look at the staff at Foursquare, 90% of the staff there are black or brown and Barbadian and have worked for the company for many years. Um, will they go on or would they want to set up their own rum company? Maybe, possibly. I know for a fact if they did, they'll get the help from the owners that they work with at the moment. So it's not for me always focus. I don't always focus on the color of the owner. I focus more on the intent um, of the owner. Um, how they're looking to market their product. Are they looking just to monopolize on their their fortuitous position? Maybe their family have given them money to set up a company and then, they've, then they try to take advantage of their situation or try to take advantage of the country and use that particular name. Are they from another country, uh, from Europe? And have they come to the Caribbean with a, uh, a colonistic mentality um, just to take from the Caribbean and then say, oh yeah, you know what? This is, uh, we're making the Caribbean rums better uh, because for me, I'm a little bit biased. I think the Caribbean <laughs> make the best spirit in the world. Um, yeah. Well, I might get someone from France say, "No, our cognac is better." Or I might get yeah. someone from Scotland say, "No, our whiskey's better." Hey, I, 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 any cognac you bring out to in front of me, any Scotch whiskey you bring out in front of me, any any bourbon you can bring in me, I can bring a rum that sits side by side and tastes just as good. That's how confident I am, and that's how biased I am when it comes to Caribbean rums or rums in general. Because now I'm working in rums. I work with rums from Asia and from even Australia. But uh, just going back, just going back to uh, Caribbean or sorry, just going back to owners of rum brands of color. Yes, we do need more. But as I said, we need to want to be able to do that. When I had chances to set up a rum company, I had chances to set up a rum brand and I chose not to. But when I did decide to do that, um, I was able to do it just because I had the people around me. Um, I had the know-how. I had the ability, and then I wanted to try, create something good. If you go to if you go to Haiti, there are lots of rum brand owners. They're small brands. They're local, um, 
and 99% of those are of color, <laughs> are black, um, are Haitian black. But I think what I think sometimes we get caught up not only um, here in the UK, but also in America, we get caught up with looking at the world for our own lens um, and making comparisons to the rest of the world from our own environment. And that's very easy to do if you're sitting in Fifth Avenue, looking at your laptop or looking at a computer and then judging the rest of the world from your perspective, instead of actually going to that particular country and seeing how hard it is to set up a rum company or how hard it is to get a distillery or set up a distillery uh, to get your product to market, to get people to try and taste this product. A lot of the local rum owners that I know in the Caribbean are just selling rums just locally. And they're not getting international status because no one's given them the platform and no one's given them the chance. It's funny because there has been a, there's been a situation that's happened recently online where someone's given, uh, a European person has come and given people the platform and given the chance and they were persecuted for it. Um, and that's what we need as Caribbeans to give us that, give us that little push, give us a chance, right. show us what we can do. And when you see what we can do, when you taste what we can produce, when you see our work ethic, you're like, oh shit, wow, you know what? Oh, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but you might edit it out. But, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. We, we, we're, we're, a, we're an equal to- opportunity uh, podcast when it comes to oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, once you give us the opportunity, once you give us the platform to show us what we can do, we can, we can hold our own. We can hold our own with any spirit makers inside the world, but sometimes we just need to have that platform if we haven't created that platform for ourselves because we do live in a system um which is it, not equal i mean it's 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 in the western society it's not equal um so we do need that little bit of a stepping stone once we get a stepping stone once we're in the door you can see what we can do and that's one of the reasons why you don't see enough um of these brands but after the year we've had last year um with the world slowing down and the world opening and people seeing certain things i think you're going to see a lot more uh, black owned brands come to the forefront. Very cool. So Ian, one more question, cause I'd be yes. uh, you know, remiss if I didn't ask you. So my favorite cocktail, which I only discovered a few years ago and so you're gonna be like, what Adam is of course the daiquiri. Ooh, nice. What do you think is the ultimate rum cocktail? What cocktail should everyone be making this? Time? I, you know what? There's, there's two for me. Um, so the daiquiri is um, I'm with you, Adam. Uh, daiquiri for me is the quintessential rum cocktail it is the it's got the trinity in there that's rum lime sugar that's it rum lime and sugar um and then you can do it in different proportions depending on how sweet your tooth is or how bitter or citrusy you want the drink or how much booze you want inside there it's your core and that's a great thing about the daiquiri there's no true recipe for the daiquiri there's just a guideline um and then you make it your own way now if you want to stretch it out a little bit then you have the ultimate uh, rum cocktail and you go to any Caribbean island, go to any Caribbean person or any person that, that makes sugarcane dissolute, um, and they'll tell you that their punch is the best. And the punch, uh, and, and I suppose some people say, well, it's just a, a longer daiquiri because you've got the rum, lime and sugar, the trinity, but then you add some water uh, inside there, something weak, and then you add a little bit of spice inside there, five ingredients. And the, and the, the, the word punch is actually a Hindi word for the word five is actually punch. Um, and it used to be five ingredients that was uh, taken from India, brought to the, uh, the uh, brought to England um, and then sent over to the Caribbean to become the planter's punch. 
But uh, yeah, the punch, five ingredients, something strong, something weak, uh, uh, something um, sweet, something sour, something bitter. And uh, if that seems complicated, the best way to remember it is one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, four of weak, and then five of spice to make it nice. That's awesome. Well, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for having me. Best of luck with Equiano. Um, I'm assuming now it's it's easy to find throughout the U.S.? It's right through the U.S. It's just won another couple set of gold medals. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, absolutely amazing. The world's first African and Caribbean rum. Um, the, the original is out in all, I think it's all states at the moment. And then a new light is just about to be released, which is a blend of molasses and fresh sugar cane juice. So um, that's oh, really I gotta try that one. Great for a I've, I've had the I've had the the original. It's really delicious, but oh, now okay. I'm gonna have to try the light. Brilliant. Yeah, the light and a daiquiri. Oh, oh Ian, good. thank you so much. This has been Thanks awesome. To me. Thanks, me again. All, all the best and take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.